My people, I've got to tell you about a company that my wife and I have totally fallen in love with this year. It's a company that is not only changing the air quality in our home, but they're also changing the world. I'll get to that in a minute. First, our house has never smelled better. If you love essential oils, you've got to check out Simply Earth. Their essential oil boxes they're sending to our house are making our house smell incredible. More importantly, they're making the air toxin-free. They send this awesome box every month. It's over $150 value, but you're just paying $39 a month in subscription. So unlike the big companies, you'd be paying a lot more. Simply Earth is making it simply affordable for every family to have clean air and a great smelling house. Each box has these different recipes. Every box has a different theme, which is super cool. You gotta check out Simply Earth. Here's the most important thing that I love about what Simply Earth is doing. In addition to making our homes smell great and making the air toxin-free in each one of our homes, they're changing the world and they're giving us a chance to join them. They donate 13% of their profits to end human trafficking. That's a cause you and I can all stand up for and believe in. Listen, my wife and I are going to buy essential oils from some company. If I can buy it from a company who I know is changing the world, that's what I want. So here's what you can do. Go to simplyearth.com slash west and use the code west to get a free $20 gift card with your first recipe box when you subscribe today simplyearth.com slash west use the code west check out simply earth you'll thank me later Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome to the Matthew West Podcast. I told you at the beginning of this month that I was on a mission to make sure that you get in the Christmas spirit with every episode of this podcast. And of course, it starts by adding jingle bells to the podcast theme song. You're welcome, people. You're welcome. Hey, we're going to have a great time today. I've got a very special guest, and together we're going to have a conversation about a very important topic that you've actually heard me sing about over the years, the topic of forgiveness. So I want to really encourage you to get ready, prepare your heart for something special. But first, I want to let you know one other way that the West family is making sure that you get in the Christmas spirit this year, you and your family. We delivered on Thanksgiving, right? We brought you Gobble Gobble, and people were dancing and singing all around the world. We will not leave you hanging at Christmas time. We have heard the people cry, help us, help us get into the Christmas spirit. And that's why the West family is inviting you to join us for a special virtual event on December 18th and 19th, two nights. There's four shows over the course of two nights, And we're coming to you from our home and from my home studio, The Story House. It's going to be a special event. It's the, dare I say, the Christmas event of the year. Well, maybe not, but I think it's going to be really special. And I hope you'll join us. It's just a few short days away. Make sure you get your tickets. And we wanted to make tickets affordable for every household this year. And that's why, first of all, one ticket gets your whole family in your house. Whoever's in your house can watch it together, right? And then you're going to get $5 off your ticket for being a listener of this podcast. That's how much I love you. So when you go to MatthewWest.com, you click to get tickets right on the front page. And at checkout, you add this code. This is your special podcast listener code. The code is not North Pole. The code is West Pole. So 
Enter the code WESTPOLE, get $5 off your ticket, pick the showtime that works for you. December 18th and 19th, the West family wants to do Christmas with you. It's the hope of Christmas, and we hope that you'll join us. Also want to remind you that my ministry, Pop Wee, sends out a free weekly email devotional straight to your inbox as a reminder to spend some time with Jesus. It's so important to have some quiet time, to spend some time with the Lord every single day, and we want to help you do that. We're doing a special series on the hope of Christmas right now, so go to popwee.org, P-O-P-W-E.org, to sign up to receive a free weekly email devotional. You can also visit the podcast page for all this information at matthewwest.com slash podcast. Okay, let's get on with our show today. My guest today is a New York Times bestselling author. She's an amazingly gifted speaker. She's a wife and she's a mother. She's the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries. You know, I could go and read the entire list of all of her accomplishments, but I know what she would want you to know most about her is that her heart and her desire is to allow God to use her story to speak into your life, to strengthen your walk with Him. And that's exactly what this is all about. That's what this whole podcast is about, is about realizing how God can speak through our stories. And today's conversation is really going to powerfully illustrate how some of the chapters of our stories that we would deem worthless or too wounded, too messy, too broken, those might just be the chapters that God's waiting for you to hand over, to place in his healing hands and watch and be amazed how he's going to use you. I'm so proud of my friend for how she shares her story in an authentic, honest, and vulnerable way. In her latest book that just came out, I highly recommend this book. It's called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. We're going to learn how to discover how to move on, how to make peace with painful memories, and create a life that's beautiful again. So without further ado, let's talk about forgiveness in the story house with my friend, Lisa Turkhurst. Lisa, I'm a huge fan. Here's my first question. Are you sitting at a great table right now? I am. Seriously? I am. Oh, that's so cool. The very great table where you wrote your latest book. Yeah, well, there's two great tables, actually. Okay. There's a wooden great table that is currently at my daughter's house because we have torn our house down to the studs. So that gray table that I wrote half of the book at is at my daughter's house, but there's a second gray table in my office that we also equally sat around, but the chairs are the same. The chairs are the same. Yes. So technically the chair that we left open (laughs) for the reader is right here in front of me. So talk about that for a second, because I loved that image. You had a team working with you, researching and really studying scripture and the topic of forgiveness as you worked on your latest book. The book's called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. Yes. Discovering how to move on, make peace with painful memories, and celebrate a life that's beautiful again. The subtitle's not just like good verbiage for the cover of the book. It really says exactly what was important for me to deliver to the reader. So recently, I took another one of those self-discovery tests it was fascinating to me because it called me a contemplator. So I was doing a little reading about the contemplator and basically in the nicest way possible, it says people who are obsessed with research, learning, taking complicated things and breaking them down into a a more readily accessible or easily understandable format for other people. But really what it was saying is it's someone who overthinks and then (laughs) 
I guess, overshares their overthinking. (laughs) (laughs) But that makes you a good teacher, too. Thank you. I'm going to receive that, Matthew. I'm going (laughs) to rub it into my heart in very deep places. But yeah, I did have this team that came together, and I don't want to make it sound overly academic because it's not. It's my content assistant. Her name is Leah. And then her content assistant, (laughs) her name is Shay. So it was Leah Shay. And then Joel, the director of theological studies at Proverbs 31 Ministries and myself. So it was the four of us and we would gather together and we each had a very distinct role as I was writing the book. So Leah and Shay were helping organize my content because I was writing a lot, but I didn't want to be constrained to an outline. So they just helped save all the content that I was writing. And then when we process it, they were taking notes on all of the processing. And what I was listening for when the four of us would get together and process was where's your skepticism? Where is your resistance to the message? Where are you leaning in because you agree with the message? And where are you crossing your arms because it's either not believable, it's too tidy, or you just simply don't agree with what I'm saying? And it was so great to have their honest voices speaking into the project. And at the same time, Joel having, he's like one inch away from his doctorate. So he's got all of his classes done for his doctorate in Old and New Testament theological studies or something like that. Hmm. So he's really, really smart. But basically, when I would come and go, wow, I got the neatest revelation from Scripture, he would constantly remind me, when it comes to studying theology, new ideas are not good ideas. Hmm. (laughs) So you don't want to bring theology that can't be backed up. Now, of course, you can get revelations from the Holy Spirit, but he would just make sure that we dug deep into the scriptures so that God's word and not my thoughts or opinions were really driving what we were studying on forgiveness. It sounds incredibly intentional to me. I think as a reader or a follower of somebody who I would look up to as a spiritual leader too, like I really appreciate that. My dad's been a pastor. He's been kind of that theological sounding board for me because I think a lot of times, whether you're writing a book or a song, you want permission to like explore the human condition and come at it from a perspective of somebody who doesn't have it all figured out. And yet there is that responsibility to hold our thoughts and feelings up to the light of God's word, which is the ultimate truth. So I love that you do that. And now one of the things that you shared, you were recently on my friend Annie Downs podcast, which I took a long walk and listened to the interview and loved what you had to share. And, you know, this book is about forgiveness and you mentioned that everybody who had a seat at your gray table working on this book with you, at different times, they were all experiencing situations in their lives that dealt with the challenge of forgiveness or difficulty in a relationship. Did you find it to be ironic that everybody was at some point dealing with the very thing that you were writing the book about? I think that would be so understandable to say, oh, no, I don't want to come sit at the great table because then something's going to happen and I'm going to need to practice forgiveness. And so I don't want to sit at that table. But I think really what we found is more and more and more people wanted to come to the great table because stuff was happening in their life regardless. And, you know, I think what we all reconciled in 
our heart and our mind is that it was God's grace that we had gathered together to study forgiveness because these things that were happening, it wasn't because we were studying forgiveness, but rather how good of God to have us knee deep in over a thousand hours of studying forgiveness when God could see these things were marching toward us. And so, you know, I think it's the same vein where people say to me sometimes, like, Lisa, so much has happened to you in your life. I mean, it just seems like you have such a target on you because you're in ministry. Hmm. And, you know, maybe if you let off the gas pedal a little bit in ministry, maybe you wouldn't get attacked so much. And I was like, I just don't think that's the way God works. And I think it's more like 45 years ago (laughs) when I was just a little girl, God just looked at my life and said, a lot's going to happen to her in her Hmm. life. So I'm going to place her in ministry so that she's knee deep in my word and she can process it and then teach other people how to do the same. That's awesome. At the very beginning of your book, you invite people to have a seat at the gray wooden table. And so you say, uh, welcome to the gray table, friend, right? And I think of how many people would be reluctant to take a seat at that table because it would require doing what you did and what you've done and what your team has done, what your whole family's done, which is deal with that topic of forgiveness that is so difficult for us, especially when it comes to, you mentioned the word marching, you use the term soldiers of unforgiveness. Talk about that a little bit. What, is, what does that mean, the soldiers of unforgiveness? And how should somebody fight the urge to stay away from the gray table and when they'd rather not deal with it? Yeah. So the whole time we were studying and processing what I was writing, we kept pulling up an empty chair to the gray table so that we could always see that was such a visual picture for us of the reader, the eventual reader. And, you know, I don't think about a group of people when I'm writing my book. I think of an individual because it's such an intimate experience when somebody picks up a book or they're listening to a book recording, it's just them and the author. So it's a very intimate experience. So it was one chair, it was one reader, and we invited them to the gray table by, you know, symbol of that empty chair every single time that we sat down to talk about this. I think sometimes people are super impressed, like, wow, you spent a thousand hours studying forgiveness in the Bible. I mean, that's a lot of hours. And I have to be honest, I'm going to make complete confession. Are you good with me just doing a confession right here? I think that would be amazing. Yeah, I have a song called Truth Be Told that's out right now, so I expect nothing <laughs> less than straight-up honesty from both of us. Perfect. <laughs> you can cue that song and your okay. forgiveness song that my daughter played on social media. That was so I saw good. That. I, was like, I saw that. Oh, During your release celebration, <laughs> your daughter posted a video playing that song. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, but... My confession is this. I didn't spend a thousand hours because I thought, wow, I've really nailed this forgiveness thing. So I'm going to just get really smart on forgiveness. It was more like the first 200 hours of it, I was looking for the loophole in the Bible where God's command for forgiveness surely couldn't apply to everything that people walked through. And so, 
I brought a lot of resistance to the table. I brought a lot of misunderstanding. I brought a lot of assumption to the table. So the soldiers of unforgiveness were really, at first, they kind of seemed like friends to me, you know, and it seemed like the resistance and the doubt and the skepticism and cynicism, all of those things that kind of masquerade in different versions of bitterness, really, I felt like those things were protecting me. And they were what kind of allowed me to keep those people that hurt me at arm's length so that I felt like if I was resenting them, then I would not give them emotional access to hurt my heart again. And what I explain in the book, there's just one section that I think people clue in on sometimes and they're like, wait, this is weird. Why would you say that? I list out some of the blessings of bitterness. Now, Right when I say that, I know people are like, wait, does she mean blessings of bitterness? What is she saying here? And it's not that bitterness is good. I also make a very strong case. Bitterness is a bad deal that makes big promises. Mm. But the blessing of bitterness is that when you find yourself in this place where you've loved really deeply, then you've gotten hurt really deeply. And the blessing of bitterness is that Bitterness doesn't visit the hard-hearted, cold-hearted person with limited potential in relationships. Bitterness often visits that person who dared to love really deeply, so they got hurt really deeply. So one of the odd blessings of bitterness is it shows you have great potential Mm. for an incredibly loving, intimate relationship. And it's just that you dared to do this. You dared to love someone really, really deeply, and you gave them so much access to your heart that they hurt you really, really deeply and into that space of loss, bitterness, resentment, skepticism, cynicism. You know, they all kind of came in because that loss in your life was like a vacuum that pulled those things in, and it really isn't an indication of something bad in your life. It's an indication that you have a tender heart that needs to be dealt with. Mm. There's a quote in the book that I said that when hurt sits inside the human heart unattended too long, it will start to turn into different versions of hate. It's a strong sentence, but I found it to be so true. Hate for those who have hurt us, Yeah, or different versions of hate. It's like if you took hate and you colored it out on a color wheel, Mm -hmm. you would see things like resentment, anger, cynicism, skepticism, and you would start to look at people. It's not that you would be a hateful person, but it's the opposite of loving when you're incredibly skeptical of someone. It's the opposite of intimate when you distrust them. It's the opposite of intimate when you start to look at people and assume the worst rather than assuming the best. But that's what can happen when that hurt sits in your heart unattended too long. And that's then when you become that cold-hearted, that hard-hearted. The bitterness can move you in one direction or the other if you choose not to deal with it. A lot of people would know your story and why you're speaking from 
maybe an unwanted place of authority on this, but you've embraced it, you've walked into it, and you're leaning into it, and now God's speaking through you in, in such a powerful way for such a time as this with so many people who have been hurt, who've hurt others. I mean, we all at any point in time have at least one relationship in our lives that's not as strong as it could be, and either the other person's the reason, or we're the reason, or we're both the reason. Hurtful words get said, communication falls short, tensions rise, betrayal takes place. Can you talk a little bit about what your experience was that led you to this place? Would this be a book you never wanted to write? And I know your last book, you really told the story of what took place. It's not supposed to be this way. In some ways, this feels like a continuation of your own personal journey. Is that safe to say? Yeah. When I wrote It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, I didn't know how the story was going to turn out. So I was very unsure of how things were going to end. And basically what happened is I was married over two decades and my husband and I had five kids and we had this beautiful family that was incredibly close. And I just somehow felt like we were kind of protected from some of the devastation, relationship devastation that is so prevalent today. And yet I got the shock of my life when I found out my husband was being unfaithful. And it wasn't just that. He was also struggling with some addictions. So it set us off on this course of devastation and spiraling that I just didn't even see coming. So I focused a lot on that middle place where you don't know exactly what's going to happen yet. You don't know how the story is going to turn out. And by the time I finished, it's not supposed to be this way. I made a nod at the end of the book that Art and I were talking again, but I just wasn't sure how things were going to really turn out. So no promises. Wow. Also, an interesting fact about that book is that in the process of writing it, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Hmm. And so the day that I hit send to turn that book in is the day that I was headed to the hospital to have a massive surgery. So I wasn't even sure I would still be alive by the time that book came out. So it was a very unusual way to end the book, but obviously I was healed from cancer and I'm still here. And so I knew the next book needed to focus a lot more on my healing journey, not just the immediate processing of what do you do with extreme disappointments, which was the purpose of it's not supposed to be this way, but how do you continue in your healing journey? And my counselor told me one of the first important steps for healing would be to work on forgiveness. And I remember looking at him that day and I thought, are you crazy? (laughs) I can't possibly start working on forgiveness when the other person hasn't said they're sorry, they're not owning what they did. Art wasn't at that point even wanting to come back to the marriage. So I just remember thinking forgiveness felt so impossible. And yet when my counselor and all the studying in the Bible that I was doing, when it culminated into my first time in my life, understanding that forgiveness is not an unfair gift that we give to the person who hurt us. Forgiveness is when we decide to drive a stake in the ground and 
just make this decision or this declaration that I deserve to stop suffering because of what another person has done to me. And the only way to sever the source of suffering is through the power of forgiveness. And when I started to understand that with tears streaming down my face, Mm. I remember sitting at the keyboard of my computer and typing out the word forgiveness and just thinking, this message might kill me and save me all in the same segment of life, but I'm going to press through because God promises that when we are obedient to what He tells us to do, He knows us best. He created us. And I truly believe that forgiveness is God's provision to help heal the hurting heart. But the enemy hates forgiveness. And so the soldiers of unforgiveness are really like the hounds of hell, tricking people into thinking that forgiveness is somehow going to unleash more hurt and make them weak and make them not able to protect themselves from getting hurt again. And I've discovered forgiveness is actually the most empowering thing there is. I mean, after all, if Jesus defeated the enemy through his shed blood for the sake of forgiveness, I think Mm. it's actually the most profound, powerful step that we can take Mm. toward healing. That's so powerful. And I don't want to gloss over what you quickly mentioned that in the midst of this, you were battling cancer. And my wife and I, like so many other people were praying for you and what a victory to be able to say that you're cancer free. You were seeing a counselor through this whole thing. Talk about the importance of of sitting down with a counselor. You know, growing up, there was always this stigma about so-and-so's in counseling, but talk about the significance of sitting down with your counselor on a regular basis as you decided to face the soldiers of unforgiveness. Yeah, maybe it's because I didn't grow up in the church, but I just didn't have that same stigma with counseling. I kind of had this thought, it's like, you know, if I can go to a cancer doctor to help heal me with cancer, then I've got to go get a medical professional to help my emotional healing take place in the best way possible. And so now it's kind of like, if you don't have a counselor, I'm like, wait, you don't like, why would you not have a counselor? (laughs) I love that. But I think people need to hear that because I think for some it's almost like sitting down with a counselor would be the definition of, or an extension of choosing to take that seat at the great table with you. Yeah. Like the choice to read a book about forgiveness means to face some areas of your life, some soldiers of unforgiveness that you're afraid to go up against. And to go see a counselor is the equivalent of sitting down at a great table and being willing to work on yourself. And maybe I'm the only one who's ever had that sort of stigma and at times have been fearful of sitting down. You know, it's like you talked about taking one of those personality tests, Lisa. It's funny because like people would always be like, oh, what number are you on the Enneagram or whatever? Or what are you in this test? For years, I was always like, well, I'm whatever number is afraid to take the test because I don't want to find out what number I am. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I was afraid to do self-discovery for fear of what I might find, for fear of what might come undone. And, you know, it's like, I got a good thing going. And in your own way, it seemed like what you talked about, your marriage, is you felt like you'd been protected, you had a good thing going, and then it all kind of comes crashing down unexpectedly. You talk about, like, at a time 
your husband was not apologetic or maybe even not wanting to come back to the marriage like describe what redemption looked like that's led you to the place now where you're still married your family is together and now you're sharing your story with millions of people literally a story that's an open book to help other people who have been hurt and need to deal with this topic of forgiveness talk about what kind of redemption the lord's brought about in your marriage yeah. Well, first of all, let me say, Matthew, almost every podcast interview I've been on, people say, wow, it's so great that you so openly talk about counseling. So I think I'm the rare exception where I'm like, I am so great with counseling. But I think most people are kind of surprised that a Bible teacher would be so open. And not only do I talk about counseling, but my therapist and I, we do a podcast together. That's amazing. Along with Joel, who brings the theological side. So it's through the Proverbs 31 Ministries podcast. It's called Therapy and Theology. And so Joel brings the theology, Jim brings the therapeutic insight, and I bring the issues. So it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I was wanting to bring up that podcast today because I want people to go check that out. But (laughs) you bring way more than just the issues, Lisa. But that's a great blend, though. I love it. Well, thank you. And here's the other thing, Matthew. I think that people are maybe a little surprised by too, is that even though my husband and I, we have renewed our vows and we are reconciled, and I'm so grateful for that. We're also very honest that this healing journey is very, very hard. And we've both been incredibly honest that we still sometimes look at each other and we say, like, are we going to make it? And I think our counselors have given us permission to not rush to tie everything up in a neat, nice bow, because my fear is in talking about it, if I only talk about the rainbows and unicorn side of things, Mm. then people who try to walk through this healing journey and find it so brutal that they'll think, oh, well, Lisa had a much easier journey than me, so maybe we're not meant to be together. And I just never want to give people the impression that everything is tied up in a nice bow when it's not. That's right. You know, Art's been really honest. He still struggles with addictions, and it is a brutal battle. It Mm -hmm. really is. So my main focus is I'm going to live a redemption story. I am committed with all of my heart to living a redemption story with God. And that is not dependent on whether a relationship makes it or not. It's not dependent on anybody else's journey, but mine, because I think I've finally gotten to the place where I realize I cannot control anyone's decisions but my own. Mm. And if I feel like my redemption story is based on whether or not another person gets healed or whether or not another person stops doing this or starts doing that, you know, then I'll live in a very paralyzed, frustrating place. And so while Art and I are a couple, we each have our own journey toward the redemption story that that God has for us to live. And so that may be a a different answer than what people expect, but it's the most honest answer. And I think it's important. 
My friends, you know a song of mine called Truth Be Told? Well, I'm going to let the truth be told right now. 2020's been a hard year. For many of us, maybe the hardest year we've ever had to face. And if you're anything like me, you'll know what I say when there's been more than one moment in 2020 where I feel like my spiritual health, mental health, emotional health has been threatened and weakened. And as proud as I am, it's hard to admit when I need to talk to somebody, when I need some help. But here's a newsflash. There are not enough self-help books in the stores to give me the strength and the wisdom I need to rise up and face every obstacle that's going to come my way. You and me, we can't do it alone. We need help. And that's why I want to tell you about my friends at BetterHelp. This is what they want to help you do. They want to assess your needs and then match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Then you get the opportunity to connect in a safe and private online environment. It is so convenient and you don't have to deal with the awkwardness of sitting in a waiting room. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. You get to send a message to your counselor anytime. You get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who specialize in areas like anger, depression, stress, family conflicts, anxiety, relationships, and the list goes on. They've got a counselor that's right for you. It's professional, it's super affordable, which is so important in times like these. Listen, the heartbeat of the Matthew West podcast is to help you in whatever chapter of your story you find yourself in to let you know that you're not alone, that God has great plans for you and the best is yet to come. But sometimes it's important to talk to somebody and get the wisdom and help you need. I want you to start living that happier and more fulfilling life today. As a listener of this podcast, you're going to get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash MWP. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash MWP. I'm guessing there had to be a period of time where you thought, okay, I'm just going to stay. I've got a good thing going. People look up to me as an author and a speaker. I'm I've got to keep the machine going, and I'm just going to pick this nice, fluffy topic to write a book about. You're obviously such a gifted writer. You're a great speaker. You could stay on a surface level and just maybe keep some of these other chapters of the real story that's going on in the Turkhurst family, just kind of keep those aside and take an easier, maybe less authentic route. But in order for you to step into this, what you said moments ago, too, that I think you said this word forgiveness, when you wrote it down, it's either going to save you or kill you. Yeah. I'm guessing your family had to be on board for you to take this step forward in not only the journey of forgiveness in your own life, but literally walking it out in real time in the form of a book that then would go on and be released right now for people to be impacted in a powerful way. Like what is a conversation like with your family and art even your family's on board with you sharing this part of your story. Was that like a challenge as well? And maybe were you ever tempted to just go, okay, I'm just going to do something a little easier. Yeah. I think my family was on board because we all know that the world knows our story anyways. When our story was unfolding, for the first 18 months after I found out Art was being unfaithful, I held that story very private, and no one knew, except a handful of friends and a couple of counselors and a couple of pastors, and then my board at Proverbs 31. Okay. 
And I honestly did not intend for the story to be told publicly, at least not for years down the road. I certainly wasn't wanting it told in the middle of hurting because it's hard to invite public opinion into your very private pain. And I think we would have loved to have kept it that way. The problem was after 18 months, I thought we were about to cross the finish line of this really brutal journey that we'd been on. I thought we were about to renew our vows. And then I discovered that there was still things happening that were not true and that were not in keeping with that desired outcome. And I was devastated all over again. And because the rumor mill was starting to pick up on things, I knew the story was going to be told through rumors and through scandalous articles that were going to come out, I had to make a choice. I either would let this story be told through rumors or I would get out ahead of it and I would speak it with truth and I would just be honest with what was going on. And it would take some of the appeal away from the rumor mill. And so that's what I decided to do. And it was simultaneously the day that I posted the blog about what was happening in our family. Everyone in my family knew we had written it together. Art had read it. He knew exactly what was going to be told. I even gave him an opportunity to edit some things that he wanted edited and same with my kids. But unfortunately, because we live a really public life, it wasn't an option for us to keep it hidden. So that day that the blog went out, it was simultaneously the very best day of our lives and the very worst day of our lives. How so? It was the worst because everyone knew. (laughs) And it was the best because everyone knew. I never have to walk in somewhere and try to figure out, oh gosh, who knows, who doesn't know. Yeah, yeah. I know everyone knows. So my family and I, we get to walk, instead of spending our energy trying to figure out who knows, we get to spend our energy, decide how we walk into every room. And we are determined to walk in as a family who is dedicated to helping other people. And we will be the safest people in any room we ever stand in because people know what we've been through. That's powerful. One of the things you wrote was the one who hurt me doesn't get to decide how I move forward. And everything that you communicate is with this intentionality that you've made the decision. (laughs) And another thing you wrote was to dance freely in the beauty of redemption, to walk forward. I love what you just described about being the safest one in the room. And that comes with a level of authenticity that is rarely stepped into by people. That's rarely attained by us. And that's the irony in presenting this perception of who we are or you know, what our life is like, that's something less than real, that's its own kind of imprisonment because we're constantly having to keep up that facade. And so for you to just cut it off at the pass and say, no, this is the truth. This is what's going on. And people will always form their own opinions. That's the hard part about being in a public spotlight and a public platform. I just applaud you for stepping forward into it and writing and sharing about your life in real time because there's a level of authenticity that cuts straight to the heart of somebody who's who's hurting in a deep way or who's been hurt in a deep way and has not been willing to face it head on. In the writing of your own book, Lisa, what was the main thing the Lord showed you 
in your own book. And the reason I ask this is because I feel like a lot of times, like in my mind, I'm writing a song for somebody else. I pray this weird prayer every night before going on stage that the Lord will turn my songs to arrows. And I like the idea of an arrow because of the precision of hitting one person. Like maybe Mm. not every song is for every person, but then there's nights where I'm on stage and I feel like the Lord says, you asked for arrows, but I gave you boomerangs. Like this is for you. Mm. You need to own this. You need to learn this. You need to take hold of this promise that you're literally singing about. So here you are, you're writing a book about forgiveness. And it seems to me like a boomerang book for you. I mean, it's going to shoot like an arrow straight to the heart of somebody who picks up this book today. But what's the main takeaway for you, if you can even sum it up to one or just one of the main ones that you feel like the Lord showed you an aha moment for you in your own journey of forgiveness? Well, first of all, Matthew, thank you for sharing that. That is a beautiful, beautiful prayer that you pray. I'm going to think about that. That was a gift to my heart today because I I really love that word picture that you've tucked within your prayer about the arrows and the boomerang. So thank you for sharing that. I think the biggest lesson that I have learned about forgiveness, it has freed me from feeling guilty and worried that forgiveness doesn't work for me. And that's this, that forgiveness really is a decision and it's a process I've always been taught that forgiveness is a decision that we have to make, and that once we make that decision, then we can't ever walk through any more of the process of that emotional pain, because Mm. to bring it up is a sign of unforgiveness, and that is just a lie from the pit of hell. That's good. And it's really important to me that someone hears this today, and I, I really think this is for just someone who's listening, that if you have made the decision to forgive, where you have literally had a marked moment and you said, I forgive this person for this specific pain that they caused me. And then I always have to add, and whatever my feelings will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover it because hurt feelings sometimes don't want to cooperate with holy instructions. And so- I can't wait for my feelings to catch up. I can't wait for my feelings to 100% sign on to this forgiveness process. So I make the decision to forgive and just trust that my feelings will follow. And if they don't, that Jesus will just cover that for me. But once you have that marked moment of forgiveness where you forgive for the fact of what happened, then you must allow yourself the process of forgiveness, which is part two of forgiveness, which is where you then, over time, forgive for the impact of what happened. Every traumatic thing we go through is fact and impact. There's a fact of what happened, and then the impact is the emotional cost that is incurred because of what happened to us. And I think if we only make forgiveness a decision and we don't allow people to walk through the process of learning to forgive for the impact that that had on them, then what will happen is people will get triggered in their pain later and all those hurt feelings will come back on them and they'll feel like forgiveness didn't work for them because Mm. I already forgave. So why am I still feeling angry? Why am I still feeling bitter all of a sudden? And that's because you forgave for the fact, but now you're being made aware 
that the cost, the emotional cost of this was really great. And so that's when you become stirred in your anger or stirred in your frustration or stirred in anxiety or fear or whatever. When I get triggered in my pain, I have to stop and have another marked moment of forgiveness Mm -hmm. where I say, I now forgive this person for the impact that this event had on me and whatever my feelings will not yet allow for the blood of Jesus will surely cover. So that's my biggest lesson. Forgiveness is two parts. It's a decision and a process. And there's so much grace in that. And you keep coming back to the blood of Jesus. And when I think about that, it's like, can we really grasp the concept of forgiving somebody who's hurt us if we have not yet embraced the forgiveness offered to us by God? I always find too, it's like, man, sometimes the hardest person for me to forgive in my life is the one I see when I look in the mirror every day. And I think that's how the enemy designs it so many times. He's like, you're not even going to let yourself off the hook, let alone the person who cuts you off in traffic today. And talk about the importance of having a relationship with Christ as it relates to all other aspects of forgiveness. Like if we haven't tapped into what God's offering us, the hope that we have of fighting those soldiers of unforgiveness, like forget it, right? Yeah, I agree with you, Matthew. I think one part of this process that was so hard for me to embrace was refusing that temptation in this situation with art for me to look at myself as the saint and him the sinner. Mm. And I think when you've been deeply hurt by someone else, and that other person hasn't yet owned what they did or said they were sorry, which was where I was at in the middle part of our journey. Art has since definitely done that. But in the middle part of our journey, I just remember I kept thinking of myself as the saint and him the sinner. And one day the Lord grabbed my attention and just said, Lisa, you'll never be able to forgive if the ground is so uneven. And at the cross, the ground is level. I didn't call you to be the saint and him the sinner. I called you both just to be servants. You're both hurting humans. And the only reason that art could have hurt you in this way is if at some point he was deeply wounded. Mm. And so you cannot look at him as this sinner, because if you define him that way, then you'll never be able to get past what he did. But if you can look at him through the eyes of compassion, maybe you can't have compassion on him, like the art that hurt you, but maybe you can have compassion on the fact that he had to have been deeply wounded, brutalized, rejected, traumatized at some point in his life, and maybe picture him as a little boy getting so hurt And it was from that place of hurt that he hurt you. If you could have compassion on that little boy part of him that got so hurt, if you can have compassion on him there, then you will be able to walk the road of forgiveness. Because I think what people don't understand is we don't conjure up forgiveness inside of us. Forgiveness is not something that the human is able to create. You see, forgiveness comes from God. And as we receive forgiveness, and certainly, Matthew, I did not cause the affair in my marriage, but 
I needed God's forgiveness to flow to me just for that perspective that I had walked around so long thinking of myself as the saint and him the sinner. And, you know, that elevated part of me that just refused forgiveness. I needed God's forgiveness there. So as God's forgiveness flowed to me, I could simply cooperate with it and let it flow through me. And so... Forgiveness isn't based on my determination. It's based on my cooperation with what God has given. So forgiveness originates from God, and we just need to receive it from Him and let it pass through us. And it's in that passing through us that our heart gets swept clean of bitterness and anger and rage and resentment and retaliation. And I just have to say to someone out there, If no one else in this world has shared this with you, I'll share it with you. I am so sorry for what happened. I am so sorry that they hurt you the way that they did. Mm. But friend, your heart is too beautiful of a place for bitterness and anger and resentment and retaliation to hold you back. It's Unforgiveness is too heavy of a weight for your heart to bear. You deserve to stop suffering because of what another person has done to you. And God's provision to sever that source of suffering from that event that hurt you so much, from that person that hurt you so much, God's provision to sever that source of suffering is through forgiveness. That's so powerful. And what I love about this chance we've had to talk is the time of year that we're talking together, Lisa. It's it's Christmas time. We could easily have just sang jingle bells and talked about all of our online shopping, but we're we're talking about some real life stuff here. And what better time than right here during the holidays where maybe in a normal year we'd be closer together with family and, and friends like that. But whatever the relationship situations we have in our lives to be dealing with this topic of forgiveness, this real life stuff here. And what if this Christmas time, somebody who's listening to this, who has some unforgiveness in their life, who's been hurt, somebody who literally just received what you just shared, maybe they would choose to maybe dare to take a seat at the gray table in reading your book, in meeting with a counselor, and take steps towards forgiveness. First and foremost, the forgiveness that's offered to us by the great light of the world. Um, what a game changer this season this could become in your life to, to surrender your life to Christ, to embrace the forgiveness offered to you, to let His grace help you forgive yourself, and then to turn and extend that same forgiveness towards somebody else and take those first steps towards, as you said, dancing freely in the beauty of redemption. We don't have to crawl our way through life with bitterness and resentment. We can dance freely in the beauty of redemption. Last couple questions for you before I let you go. What is Christmas going to look like for the Turkhurst family? You said your house is down to the studs. You're doing a renovation. Will you all be gathered together as a family somewhere else in North Carolina? Well, I actually last year built a little ministry house on my property where That's right. I do a lot of ministry work here. So we will probably celebrate Christmas at the ministry house. But Matthew, let me share with you a little fun fact. I've not shared this on any other podcast. So Okay. Good stuff. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> it's not the most profound thing in the world, but it is a it is a fun fact. Yeah, you know, one of the pieces of our renovation that I'm so excited about, so we'll enjoy it next Christmas is I built onto the house a special grandkids 
wing of the house. So there's all kind of fun elements in this grandkids wing. There's two bunk bedrooms and then there's awesome. a little movie theater room and arts and crafts section. So that's going to be really cool. But one of the coolest parts is there is a two and a half story spiral slide that goes from the playroom all the way down to the den. So next Christmas, we will be doing lots of that kind of fun stuff. That's oh, awesome. And there's one other thing. Uh, we also built a tree house onto the back of that room. So you walk Gosh. through this door and suddenly you're inside a tree house. So it's super fun. See, I mean, we can't go to Disneyland right now, but it sounds like you're just building your own little amusement. That sounds amazing. The West family needs to come and check that out. That sounds the awesome. The West family totally needs to come and check this out. We have plenty of sleeping, you know. If you <laughs> and Emily don't mind also sleeping in a bunk bed, we've got all the beds in the world. <laughs> well, she's had me home more than any year before, so I'm sure she'd be fine with me in another room even. <laughs> <laughs> hey, last question for you. And it's sort of like ending back at the beginning. And I ask every guest this question, and it has to deal not with a gray table, but with a blue couch. And I ask what your blue couch story is. And the significance of that question is that for me, as a 13-year-old preacher's kid, you know, I wasn't really as concerned about a personal relationship with Christ. It was just a family connection, religion, and going to church. But God met me as a 13-year-old kid watching a Billy Graham crusade by accident, and I sat with my mom and asked Jesus into my heart watching that Billy Graham crusade. And a lot of times I talk about growing up, feeling like you're far away from that defining moment, you know, maybe even as a kid where you said yes to Jesus. And then God just showing me throughout my life that he didn't stay on that blue couch. He's been with me ever since. And your story is such proof that God just doesn't leave you to figure this out on your own. He's been with you, Lisa, and your family every step of the way. I'm sure there's been many along the way and you've already shared, but is there one defining moment that comes to mind as I ask that question or mention the blue couch where, where God met you in a very real and personal way and it helped change the trajectory of your life? Yeah, I think there's been so many, you know, certainly I could share my story of how I came to finally understand what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. But I think I want to fast forward to the beginning of this five-year journey that my family and I have been on that have been the hardest five years of my whole life. And I remember crying out to God one day. I was actually in the hospital I had had to have another surgery and it was so touch and go. The doctors weren't sure if I was going to make it. I wound up being in an intensive care unit for 15 days and it was pretty serious. And I remember the doctor came in one day and he said to me, Lisa, I know you've been begging God to take away your pain, but I just want to tell you that because you were in pain, we kept you in the hospital and because you were kept in the hospital, we kept running tests. And because we kept running tests, we finally discovered the source of what is wrong with you. And we're going to wheel you into surgery and we're going to mm. help you. And he said, but I know you've been really wrestling. How could a good God let someone he loves be in so much pain? But it was actually the pain that saved your life. And the doctor turned around and walked out of the room. And I remember laying there thinking, I've had such a wrong view of God. I had this view of God, like he was being far off and aloof and unattentive and doing nothing about my pain. 
But now I see this beautiful picture of God exercising every bit of holy restraint available to him to not take away my pain because he loved me so much that if he would have taken away my pain, I would have lost my life. So I will often say to myself now, Lisa, just remember God loves you too much to answer your prayer in any other way than the right way mm. and in any other time than the so right good. time. And this is the beauty of God's authoring of our stories is a God who works all things for the good, takes the pain to save your life and then uses you and speaks through you. And the pain you've experienced in your life is literally now being used to save somebody else's life right now, to speak into somebody else's life who's dealing with unforgiveness, who's struggling with bitterness, who doesn't want to sit down at the gray table, who doesn't want to deal, and therefore they're not finding the healing that God intended for them. But because of you being willing to speak from the pain that you've had in your life and to tell people it's possible, redemption can be found, forgiveness can be found, this is real, step into it, lean into it, Embrace the process and trust that God's forgiveness for you is going to change your life and he's going to give you the strength to forgive others who hurt you. Lisa, I'm such a huge fan and what you shared today, I needed. And my wife and I, every time we see you on social media, we're like, man, if we all lived in Nashville together, I feel like we would have dinner. I feel like we would hang out because we just think so much of you. So long distance friends, and hopefully I can come and visit the treehouse and the slide and the whole deal someday. But I just want to thank you for sharing your story, for being a guest on this podcast. And I'm going to send everybody and their mother to go get your book and everybody and their mother-in-law. They probably needed to forgive their mother-in-law. For, <laughs> for It's just the holidays. We got a lot of forgiveness to deal with and a lot of relationships that need work. So this was a message for such a time as this, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you, Matthew. I deeply, deeply appreciate that. And I would readily accept a dinner invitation by All right. you and your family anytime. So bring it okay. on. Next time you're in Nashville, if we ever get any extra time, we'll have a meal together and talk some more. There's so much good stuff in your books, and I'm just so glad that I got to hear you share a little bit more. Hey, on a personal note, I started a song as I was reading your book. I'll send it to you when I finish it. But Oh, wow. Well, send the beginnings of it. I'd love to hear any little part of it. I've just been jotting down some ideas, and if I get it down the road, I'll send it your way. That sounds great. And if you ever want to process any of those lyrics, call me because, you know, I love, love, love putting words together. So just know that invitation is open to you. Well, maybe we could just write it together then. (laughs) Well, I can't sing. I do like words, so I can help you with some of the verbiage. (laughs) You wouldn't have to put my name on it or anything. No, whatever. I love that. I love that. Let's write it together. That sounds great. Well, I'll look for your invitation. I'm going to hold you to it. I really appreciate you taking the time. I hope the book sells millions of copies because people need to read it. That's for sure. Thank you, Matthew. You're such a good friend. I appreciate you very, very much. Now it's time for songs from the story house. Today's song from the story house is my new song, the hope of Christmas. Several years ago, I wrote another song called the heart of Christmas. At that time, I had this idea that perhaps over the years, I would write a series of songs with a similar title. The Heart of Christmas, The Joy of Christmas, The Peace of Christmas, and the list went on. Well, this year, it felt right to focus on the word hope. And here's the honest reason why. On more than one occasion, I've looked at this troubled world around me and found myself wondering, 
Is this pandemic hopeless? Is this racial tension hopeless? Is this political divide hopeless? I felt the Lord leading me back to some of the Christmases of my childhood, growing up as a preacher's kid in the Chicago suburbs at Hobson Road Community Church, literally a church on a dead-end road. Take a listen to this first verse. Take me back to eight years old, the little church on a dead-end road, with a candle flicker in one hand and dad's hand in the other. Take me back to silent night. My heart was full and the world was right. Cause right now the world looks nothing like those innocent Decembers. These days peace on earth is hard to find. And I need you to remind me one more time. These days peace on earth is hard to find. And I need you to remind me one more time. I'm not sure I've written a lyric this year that rings truer to how I've felt than that line right there. Being a follower of Christ doesn't mean that my heart will always succeed in remembering the hope I have in Christ. Sometimes the heart forgets. Sometimes the heart gets discouraged by what the eyes see. The second verse describes a blanket of snow falling on the ground. And I loved how that image made me visualize how it maybe was just covering over all the pain we've seen this year. Watch the snowflakes falling down like a blanket on this town for a moment we can hardly see the pain this year has brought us may the sick find healings touch may hatreds fight be one with love and may every heart make room for you the one who came to save us cause you're still the hope of christmas you're still the light when the world looks dark You're still the hope of Christmas And you're still the hope of my heart Now one of the anchors that God has given me this year when my life has felt like a storm has been my wife and my two daughters. I've prayed and asked God to help me be a good leader even when I wasn't sure how to hold it all together for my family and I'm thankful for God's grace in the times when I've fallen short. I'm thankful for God's faithfulness in giving us a hope that can remain even when all looks hopeless. And that's why I wanted to sort of bring it home in this final verse. And even in the making of this music video, the video was shot with just the members of my immediate family, my wife and my two daughters in this cabin, sort of illustrating what this year has looked like for us. Take a listen to this final verse and a special moment that was shared with my daughter Delaney. I bowed my head to pray tonight Felt my little girl by my side She slipped her tiny hand in mine And we both talked to you And it took me back to eight years old My daddy's hand and a story told about heaven's love in the manger low And a promise that's still true You're still the hope of Christmas You're still the light when the world looks dark You're still the hope of Christmas And you're still the hope of my heart Perhaps you need a reminder that hope can be found this Christmas. Perhaps you're looking around and you've felt the way that I have at times this year. Maybe it looks hopeless. Well, this is my prayer for you, 
that Emmanuel, God with us, will be with you, will meet with you in a very real way this season. And as he does, and as you spend time in his presence, may you realize what God has shown me, even in the writing of this song, that hope is real. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus, the hope of Christmas. You're still the hope of my heart. He's my dad, and he gives good advice, especially at Christmas time. That's why this segment is called Dad Vice. He is my dad, and he gives good advice. And that's why this segment is called Dad Vice. Hey, Dad, thanks for joining me. I am so glad to see you and Mom having made a full recovery from COVID-19. You're feeling a lot better than you were just about six weeks ago, aren't you? Oh, I I sure am. I'm so thankful for how God has touched both your mom and me. Well, I know a lot of people have prayed for you and mom, and we are so thankful that you are up and going and still filled with the desire to encourage us today. So send us out with an encouraging word this Christmas. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about Christmas joy. And the first illustration comes from another great Christmas movie. It's not as great as The Heart of Christmas, but almost up there. It's been played every year for 50 years, and it's the Charlie Brown Christmas. Still popular, still people's lives being just filled with joy as as they see this movie. You remember seeing that? Yeah, every year. Here's a discussion that Charlie and Lion has had. Charlie said, I think there must be something wrong with me, Lioness. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. Charlie Brown sounds like he's describing many of us this Christmas in 2020. With the stress of the pandemic, jobs, loss, struggles, you may feel just like that. Christmas joy is just not here. Anxiety, grief, fear may have crowded joy into a small corner of your heart, not just to mention happiness. Charlie Brown said, I'm not happy, but we need to understand there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is an emotion, a feeling. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is temporary. Joy is something different, something deeper. Joy comes from the Lord. Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's an attribute of Christ's followers. Real joy was introduced to the world with the angel's birth announcement. And we need to remember this Christmas, there's a message of joy for us. First of all, joy came. Christmas brings us joy because Christmas brought us Jesus, Luke 2.10. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Isaac Watts wrote the most published Christmas carol in North America, Joy to the World. I love the line that says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. The message of joy that first Christmas was that joy came. Secondly, joy comes. 
When we open our hearts and make room for Jesus, joy comes to us personally. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. A lot of things might fill you with joy for a moment, and that's really in the area of happiness. But joy comes when Jesus enters our hearts May the God of hope fill you with all joy. And then thirdly, joy stays. Joy is sustainable no matter what the circumstances. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The happiness will come and go, but not joy. And John 15.11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is an attitude of the heart. Joy brings us peace in the middle of a storm. Joy is a product of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. Make room for Jesus in your heart this Christmas. Make room for joy. Joy came. Joy comes. Joy stays. That's awesome, Dad. Thanks for that encouragement and that reminder. So many times we think that our joy is dependent on the circumstances around us, and yet that reminder for us to prepare him room, to make room for him, that's something that's going on within us, not around us. And we can make that choice right here and right now to say, you know what? Regardless of my circumstances in 2020, I am going to make a heart choice, a decision of what goes on inside of me. I'm going to open up my heart, and I'm going to prepare room for Him, and knowing that when I do that, my joy will not be empty. My joy will be full. That's an awesome Christmas message. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Matthew. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lisa Turkhurst, for sharing her story in an authentic real and vulnerable way. We're going to post a link to her latest book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, at matthewwest.com slash podcast. Last but not least, make sure you get your ticket to the Hope of Christmas event taking place on December 18th and 19th. The whole West family is going to be there. This is going to be an epic time. And as a listener of this podcast, you get $5 off your ticket when you go to matthewwest.com. At checkout, you'll use the code West Pole, not North Pole, but West Pole. Get five bucks off your ticket. There's going to be four shows over the course of two evenings, and it's going to be an incredible time. So gather your family together, socially distanced, and enjoy this special evening straight from Nashville to your home television or computer. And I'll look forward to seeing you for the hope of Christmas. That's our show for today. I hope you've taken hold of the forgiveness that's offered to you from a God who loves you. Now, may you go out and extend that same forgiveness to the world around you. They will know we are Christians by our love, by the way we forgive one another. God bless you. It's your story for his glory. I'll see you next week. Merry Christmas. Christmas.